Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian. And today I have Matt Finch with me, the creator of Swords and Wizardry and Osric, correct? Yep. <laughs> Welcome. It's good to have you on. I'm a fan of your work. <laughs> no, thank you very much. I should say on Osric that Stuart Marshall, uh, who's in Britain, also you know, was, was also involved in, in doing that. But uh, uh, so that was a joint effort on our part. Yeah, I've heard. I've, I, I'm curious to know some of the like, I know there was a little question of legality at that point in time. I'm putting out a clone and that had something to do with how it was put out. Am I incorrect in saying that? No, you're, you're right about that. It was, uh, you know, that, 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 that was way, way back when, uh, you know, 2005 was when we started working on it. And um, so, you know, then nobody had ever tried to clone old an old rule set using the uh, the open game license. The, some people had done games that were supposed to operate like old ones, like, you know, Troll Lord games had come out with Castles and Crusades earlier than that. Um, but this was the first time that we were trying to get, uh, you know, the old content into, op into the open game license to where uh, people could publish modules specifically for, uh, in the case of Osric Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition, and so somebody had to do the legwork of basically going in and rewriting the, the rules. And so a lot and a lot of people didn't really even understand you know, why uh, we thought it was important to do that. I think that's obvious now uh, why it was important to do that. But uh, the but we figured that it was very likely that, that we would get a test lawsuit from the other side of somebody you know, trying to stop that from happening which as it turned out, we didn't. And again, in, in hindsight, it seems obvious that we wouldn't have, but at the time we really, really thought that was likely. And so the laws covering that in Britain are more favorable to the person who was trying to do what we were trying to do. Um, so if we were going to draw a lawsuit, we wanted to draw it in, in Britain rather than in the States. And so that's why uh, I'm just listed as the initial author on the thing, but Stuart's got the thing. Now, not to say that Stuart didn't do, you know, he did a lot of editing of the first version of Osric, which most people have not seen. Um, and then he, he built that out because there was so much demand for it as a game, which we really didn't expect. We just thought it was going to be a publisher resource. Uh, there was so much demand, uh, you know, to see monsters and so on and so forth that Stuart almost single-handedly built Osric out from that first edition that we came out with into the Osric second version, which is what most people have seen. So, you know, he was definitely, you know, side by side in that whole thing. In fact, he probably, you know, did more for it by the end of the product than I had at the beginning. But the, the initial idea of here's a thing that we have to do to get this available out in the under the open game license, that, that was something that I did. And I wrote probably I don't know, three quarters of the first draft, uh, which is less now that there's the much larger 2.0. Now we actually, it hasn't aired yet. This Friday, we got an episode where we've been, we've been doing more random role type episodes because we do a daily podcast, usually 15 minutes in the, during the week and then 30 minutes on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And we've been doing some random roles. So, so I, actually we just, for the next two weeks where we actually pulled out the Tome of Adventure Design and we're rolling on that, coming up with a little adventure for part of our episode. And then I saw that there's probably going to be a new Tome of Adventure Design that's coming out under Mythmere Games, who has been around for a minute, but I've heard some people kind of talking about as a new, there's something else going on with it. Could you expand on that and give us an idea what's happening? Sure. Yeah, that's uh, the, the people who are seeing it as old are the people who 
um, have been around since the early days of the OSR because Mythmere Games was the company that I published some of the original stuff under, um, including the uh, the Tome of Adventure Design, except it was called Mythmere's Design Adventure Design Deskbook, I think, and it was in in parts rather than in a, a, a single volume. And Mythmere Games has kept publishing some of that early stuff like Knoxbell and so on. It's been on drive through uh, the whole time that I was working with Frog God. Um, now that I've left Frog God, I'm starting to publish stuff through Mythmere Games again. So anybody who's coming on the scene, you know, over the course of the last 10 years is, is perceiving at least, you know, Mythmere as a, as a new company. So that's why it's both new and old, but it, it has actually been around for a long time. It's just that it's been pretty much inactive. So Mythmere Games is going to publish the Tome of Adventure Design because the rights to that reverted from me, uh, reverted to me when I uh, left Frog God. We have uh, revised and, uh, and upgraded that based on some of the stuff that I really wanted to do with the first printing of it and didn't for various reasons. And, uh, and so we're going to be launching a Kickstarter on that. Probably uh, we're looking at the very end of March, but obviously with the stuff that's going on in Ukraine right now, we are going into this a little bit differently than normally with a Kickstarter. I mean, we've, we've got a printer locked down, but we are also looking at other locations for printers to get quotes from. We've got fulfillment locked down, but we are also looking for other fulfillment places because we're going to go into this with a plan A, plan B, and plan C kind of <laughs> thing. So it may be uh, that it doesn't launch uh, right on schedule, or it might be that if all the pieces fall into place, it launches a little bit earlier. It's, 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 and there's also GaryCon right in the middle of that, which also complicates the schedule on the launch. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, you're, you're, uh, hitting me early enough on this that I'm not going to have all of the pat answers that one normally does going into a Kickstarter, unless what I did was say, here's our plan A. But the problem is we may be at plan G or plan H by the time the thing actually launches. So I <laughs> don't want to go on, on record with an official. Yes, it's going to be this. That way. works. That works. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more curious to know. I think that I've seen there might be some new stuff inside the Tome of Adventure Design itself that it doesn't currently have. Is that correct? Yes. Um, what Here's what we did with that. So probably in the future, I'm going to come out with some more books of tables. And so we decided, all right, so Tome of Adventure Design um, is really a, a classic. There are a, a lot of people who sort of know what's in it and how to use it. And, and it's got almost its own fan base. So we decided, all right, we're, we're going to leave the tables pretty much unchanged because I'm very happy with the way that that book works. There, there could be some, you, you know, you can't really improve a lot of the tables or the organization very much, although you could add more tables to it. Um, but I didn't want to add, you know, 10% new content and then resell something that's already been out there with the sort of, this is new stuff, you know, attached to it, because I don't really like it when people do that, but we got to put the book back out again for people to get it. So what I did instead was think about this other idea that I had had at the time we were doing it, which is, you know, when you are looking at a, a book, it's sort of a, an ex, it's an experience in and of itself. A book is an artifact. You, you use it as something that you're interacting with. And what I had wanted to do at the beginning was to add an extra dimension to the tables themselves by, at that time, I was thinking by putting in word clouds, which I have had a bunch of people tell me, you know, okay, number one, from layout standpoint, a word cloud is inefficient. Because in order to be legible, if you're doing anything like that, um, you know, with the words twisting and, and stuff like that, that it, you, you know, you're using up a lot of space for a relatively small number of words. And so 
what we're doing with this book is that we've got almost 3,000, I think it's like 2,900, it might, it might even top over 3,000, um, but 3,000 micro prompts, some of which are very short, like some of them might, might be the word jousting. Some of them are longer. There's a couple of quotes from W.B. Yeats, who's a, a poet that I like. For, oh, yeah. You know, I, yeah, I'm familiar. I got a few of his books. <laughs> yeah. The, and so uh, assembled uh, uh, this enormous number of these little things, and they're showing up on the outside margins of every page. And so what happens is, so in, in terms of the creative process, when, when you are following a table, one of the benefits of using a table in a book is that you're seeing the surrounding entries. You know, it's not like a computer generated thing that just gives you one result. You're seeing that result plus a bunch of fairly similar things that you could substitute in. Um, and so there's a creative process going in there that, that has to do with the corner of your eye. But with a table, you're also, um, you know, using the, the evaluation part of your imagination, not just the raw brainstorming thing, but is this better? Is that better? Is that better? So one of the things that we're trying to do with these micropromps, which we call the apophenia engine, because apophenia is pattern recognition. It's a human trait to see patterns even when they don't exist, uh, which is exactly what you're trying to get going in this kind of thing. So you're seeing, I don't know, about 60 figure, you know, maybe 30 on each side, uh, you know, maybe 60 of these things out of the corner of your eye, these little ideas in there. And so the, the primary use of them is just when you're looking at a table, you, you can get one of two things. You can get a really shitty table result in the sense that it's obvious. You know, this is what I would have <laughs> come up. This is what I would have come up with off the top of my head in five seconds of thinking. How do you make that more interesting? Well, you've got these 60 ideas that are kind of sticking in your head because you're seeing them uh, out of the corner of your eye. And the other problem that you can get with a table result is something you absolutely cannot figure out any way to make a, you know, giraffe with a ladder, I don't know, just make something <laughs> up, giraffe with a ladder work as part of an adventure kind of thing. But, you know, you may see, you know, spy or something like that out of the corner of your eye and you're like, okay, so there's a giraffe on a ladder who's using the length of his head to spy on people. And, you know, it just, it fills in the, that missing link that you need for the creativity is the other possibility for, for using those things. So that's, that's what is in, that's, that is the major new addition to the book. The, um, and there, there are other ways of using those as well. And I made a couple of suggestions, but I think people will use them whichever way works best for them. But one of the things that I suggest in the introduction is, you know, if you're, if you're stuck, um, you can just say to yourself, okay, what comes next? Open it up to a random page, you know, look at the, at the micro prompts, put your finger on one of them. And it's kind of like, you know, a, a Chinese fortune cookie where you fill in the gaps or an Oracle, you know, the Oracle of Delphi who always gave really <laughs> vague results and you had to fill them in for yourself that you can use these things, um, you know, as a, as a, as an instant, you know, uh, sudden adrenaline, adrenaline boost to the creativity by, you know, grabbing a thing and saying, okay, I'm going to try and use this. What is it that I've got? Um, and so that's another potential use for the things. And I, I think that having a large list of fantasy-based micro concepts is potentially a really, really flexible tool. And I'm not sure how flexible, uh, you know, how far that's going to go. I've never seen that in a book before. And so I think it'll be interesting to see what people do with it. One of the things that we're thinking about is that it might be useful to even just publish those prompts, you know, in a, in a little PDF or something like that for, oh, for, yeah. pe for the people who've, who use that, who find a way to use that very powerfully because it's a potentially really powerful tool. Well, I like the idea. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm definitely going to have to back this. I'm definitely, I'm excited to get the final product to see what that's like. Cause like I said, I'm a big fan of the Tome of Adventure Design. We've had plenty of adventures that have been based on it and busted it out over the years. I, I, it works wonderful. Making it e work even better. 
That's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope it does. I, I, I'm imagining that there will be a few people who think it's distracting, but I think that for the vast majority of people, they'll either not use it, you know, because being on the sides, you can basically, you know, sort of blinder it out when you're looking at the book. Or, but I think that most people will actually find that really useful, you know. So, well, what comes to my mind? Have you checked out the Knock Zine that's out? Yeah. And it's, it's, they use every square inch on the cover and stuff. And they have all these things scattered about. I think that's super useful stuff and a useful to take up that space and fill it with more content and information. Quite a few people are starting to kind of do and try things like that. I think it's awesome to add to the Tome of Adventure design. So that's just my two cents. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I'm glad. No, I think it works. It works really well for something that's specifically uh, a creative tool like Tome of Adventure Design. I can see, you know, when you're doing adventures or stuff like that, that, you know, you can, an adventure is a reference book. And so it is a little bit, you've got to have the, the ability to use it kind of like a textbook, you know, where you can put your finger on the information that you need really quickly. So there, oh, yeah. there are different kinds of, of, of books that require a different approach to the way that you present the information. But I definitely think that for something like Tome of Adventure Design or something that's invented, intended as a creative tool, that you know, crowding information and crowding ideas is really one of the most useful tools for boosting creativity that there is. The more things that people are seeing all at one time, uh, the, the more powerful a tool you get. Uh, that's, that's a large part of my game notes. When I'm prepping for game and I'm getting ready to run something, I take my notebook paper or, or I'll, I'll take my, my page in my notebook that I'm using and I'll just put down names and ideas and prompts and things that I had thought of. Like, okay, this could happen. I'm not usually 100% in stone, but that brainstorming goes down. And when I'm sitting there running the game at the table, I got all these already prepared to just grab and go with. Or if I'm looking for something, it's right there on the page. It seems like a very similar idea. Your brainstorming goes down so you can access all these different ideas, only they're adding to your pool of brainstormed ideas. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, you know, that's that's exactly what it is, is it's just a, a whole lot of pre-brainstorming already done for you. And, um, I, I, you know, they're they're not very long. Because the more specific you get with something, the more things you are excluding from it. So if you say, uh, you know, somewhere, you know, there's a long passageway with spikes sticking out of the walls, you know, and a, and a ballista at the end, um, you know, that's the sort of thing you write down during your adventure pre-prep, like what you're talking about. I, tr I generally tried to go slightly more minimalist with these things because, again, it's the, 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 the objective of this book is it's for someone who's doing the prep ahead of time. So it would be somebody who is, you know, thinking about what a corridor might look like. And they may just see something like, uh, you know, spikes or, um, you know, dangerous wall, things like those are the kinds of things that we've got in the prompts. And then that will help you, you know, if you're, if you're doing your brainstorming stuff, you know, you, if you see spikes and dangerous wall on the same page, you might you know, write down exactly the longer thing that's for an actual adventure use. But I tried to keep in mind, you know, what phase is this being used for? And then to reach that level of detail. So a lot of the stuff in the tome tends to be, you know, a little bit, you know, like the Oracle of Delphi, you know, talking about is, yeah. you know, or the, or the fortune cookie or the, or the tarot card that it, it gives you something that's fairly, fairly open-ended so that it gives you multiple ideas rather than just one. I, I want to change gears for a minute. And mm -hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about swords and wizardry. All right. <laughs> I'm a fan of swords and wizardry. There are a lot of different variations of it. 
I and I'll say that my favorite is the Swords and Wizardry Complete, as it's called. I'm not sure if my listeners know the differences between them all and what Swords and Wizardry looks to be a retro clone of. So could you kind of go into some detail and give the the quick elevator pitch of Swords and Wizardry and the different variations and possibly tell us what's in the future for it? Sure. Um, so leaving out there, there are a lot of um, uh, it, it, Swords and Wizardry is intended to let publishers use it as a springboard to publish other stuff. So I'm going to leave out their stuff and just talk about the, the, the stuff that I did on Swords and Wizardry. So there are, uh, there are three main versions of Swords and Wizardry. First of all, what it is, um, what it is cloning um, are the very earliest publications of Dungeons and Dragons. And, and so what TSR Hobbies came out with in, originally was they first came out with a boxed set that was in a wood grain box uh, that had uh, three little booklets in it. And there were a certain set of rules with that. Uh, then they came out with some supplements after that. Uh, and, and those supplements were uh, Greyhawk, Blackmore, Eldritch Wizardry, uh, Swords and Spells. There, was, there were a few of those. So Swords and Wizardry white box only contains the material and the rules from the first box set that went out and there are some rules differences that got changed so for in that in that original box all of the character classes had a d6 hit die for example so your magic users were a lot tougher then than when they got downgraded to 1d4 hit die later on hit dice for monsters were a d6 and there are some some other you know things. Those are probably the major ones right there. So White Box is a very very minimalist game, and so that's the the, the smallest, if you will, scope of it. Then I, I also came out with, and it was the first one that I did was Swords and Wizardry Core, and that was the way that I played original D anD D, which was those the White Box material, but it was updated by the first supplement called Greyhawk in which they introduced variable hit dice for the character classes. They introduced, I think, I think a thief came in, in in Greyhawk. And so there are, you know, so there is, uh, there is an actual set of changes to the rules in Swords and Wizardry core. The one that I play, same as you, is Swords and Wizardry complete. And what that is, is it's that original little box, plus all of the supplements that uh, TSR came out with, plus several of the articles from the early the dragon magazine and strategic review which was the predecessor to the dragon magazine which had character classes like the ranger for example came from strategic review some things came from the from tsr's periodicals rather than from the official rule books in the original dnd so swords and wizardry complete is the full bore this is what original dungeons and dragons looked like before they came out with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And Advanced Dungeons and Dragons pulled in almost all of the same set of material to put in there, uh, plus some additional stuff. But it's a fairly wide scope game. Most people don't quite realize how much stuff got published for original Dungeons and Dragons. And so that's all That's all what's in Swords and Wizardry Complete. Swords and Wizardry Complete, I think, is what I think some of the beautiful elements of it are like, I like that it is extremely rules light and often it gives you options or this is how you can do it. This is how you can do it. Or there's, there's variations on the rule set. And if you're into retro clones and things like that, it's easy to take stuff from other retro clones, like rule sets and procedures and stuff and use it there without 
breaking anything or screwing anything up. It's just it's it's easy enough to run with and go, <laughs> not damage. That's my yeah. That's my that's what I like about it. Like if you're into old school essentials or any of those other, if you roll up, you know your characters with swords and wizardry complete it's most of the things that you would want to use some of those other games for different things it's easy to port those rule sets in there and go with it's all pretty much the same game (laughs) yeah no it is it is i like that i mean you don't you don't see any large numerical differences until you get to uh third edition dungeons and dragons so i mean if you're playing anything you know uh that's old school you know up to and including second edition advanced D, you know your numbers are close enough that it's, you know, it's going to work. It may not work exactly right for someone who's an absolute completist in terms of compatibility, but, you know, a whole lot of times just the the difference in, you know, rolling well or rolling badly is going to completely eliminate the tiny detail of a, you know, an armor class is one off. So, yeah, the armor class is usually like if you're looking at first edition AD&D, you're looking at second edition AD&D, Swords and Wizardry and some of these other retro clones, and you're looking at the books using them. Like one of the biggest differences that I've seen is that sometimes some of the armor classes are like one point off. Mm-hmm. When you get to like newer editions, they get, they start changing more. It's harder to use newer stuff than it is older stuff. <laughs> and just yeah, third edition, I've actually found that is not as hard as some later stuff to port in if you're willing to do the subtracting to invert armor classes and all that, but. One of the things I found is that I, I, I'm not sure how familiar with Castles and Crusades. I found that that's easy to kind of use second, third, and everything within there in its own unique way. So, yeah, Castles and Crusades, you know, it was like I said that that was out before the retro clones. And there's a, a reason that I don't call it a clone of um, Advanced DD, which is because their legal approach to it. And again, you know, this was at a time when people thought lawsuits might start flying. Um, and so uh, Troll Lords, they used a lot of the structural elements from third edition D&D, which was what the what you had to work with at that point in time. It was third edition, it was before fourth came up. And so, uh, and they, you know, changed the numbers so that they worked with the, uh, the, the other generally smaller numbers that, that you've got in the old school stuff. But you've got the mechanism for the newer edition in place there. And so if you are wanting to play something that operates like first edition D&D, but using books that were done later, then the then Castles and Crusades is probably going to be somewhat your better bet, as opposed to if what you want to do is use old stuff or things that were produced for the old stuff, then Osric would be your better one. It's, it's, since we're talking about advanced yeah. D&D here, um, rather than original D&D, you know, that, that, that's probably the, the compatibility difference between Osric and Castles and Crusades, is which, which resources you want to pull from. So let me ask you, we're... we're, we're... I want to know a little bit about how you got into gaming and your personal gaming history. I'm curious to okay. know. <laughs> uh, well, I, first off, I got into Napoleonic Wargaming when I was about, I don't know, eight or nine. And that was because my family, my parents are English. And so every uh, couple of summers, we would go back to England and hang out with relatives over there. And so Napoleonic Wargaming was, was bigger over there than it was over here. And I ran into that because we were at just bookstores or whatever it might be. You know, I was looking at toy soldiers because I played with toy soldiers and ran across Napoleonic Wargaming and started to get a little bit into Napoleonic Wargaming. So then we come back to the States from that vacation. And so now I'm looking at model stores um, for Napoleonic Wargaming stuff. And so that's what puts me into the model stores. And so the people who are 
younger probably have not really run across the type of store that I'm talking about, but there used to be lots of stores that sold models, model rockets, um, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of a bunch of, a bunch of, you know, similar stuff. This is before there weren't any comic book stores. Yeah. There were hobby so, stores and, right, and they would have game stuff and miniatures and models. That's, we were just talking about that uh, with a recent guest, Levi Combs. We were talking about how those stores used to be. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We were just talking about that. Like there aren't, I don't see those stores anymore. The one I used to get most of my books from, I actually lived down the street from now where it used to be. And it was just like that. It was a hobby store. And you get game stuff there as well as war game stuff and models. So yeah, I definitely I, I miss that world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there was and there was random other stuff that you'd find in there too. But the but so anyway, that was that was where the Dungeons and Dragons stuff was mainly getting sold, at least where I lived in Houston. And so I was in, you know, this this store, you know, my mom was shopping in the mall and I said, Hey, I want to go over to the hobby store, fine, go and look at the hobby store. And I ran across a, a copy of the monster manual. And uh-huh. um, was looking through the monster. I didn't know what it was for, but you know, I was done looking at the Napoleonic minis, and I walked over and, and started looking at this. And I was, you know, big Tolkien fan. You know, by the, I'm maybe ten now, uh, nine or ten. And so I'm, you know, reading this, and it's it's really really cool. I've got no idea what the hell it's for, but <laughs> I go in and I look at it because it's got you know interesting pictures, and it's obviously for some sort of rule set. Um, and it wasn't until a, f- a friend of mine got a hold of the basic set, which the store I was going to didn't have a basic set. They just had the, uh, the only books that had been published at that point were the player's handbook for advanced D&D and the monster man. And I don't remember seeing even any box sets there. They didn't have the OD&D box set and they didn't have the basic box. set. my friend got a hop- got a copy of the basic box set. And, uh, and, the, and, and that was the first time that we played it. And then once I'd done that, I understood, okay, that's what that advanced D&D player's handbook is all about. Now I understand how that book is actually a game. It's not in a box. Um, and so I went and I bought copies of the player's handbook and the monster manual. And we started using those in our basic D&D game. Um, and then we realized that the basic D&D game only got you up to third level. And so there you had to go and they hadn't published the dungeon master's guide yet. So you had to get a copy of the original D&D box set to find out certain things like, you know, what are the saving throws like for a fighter who's over third level? Um, You know, what are the spells for a magic user who's over third level? And so that came into it at that point. So it was just sort of piece by piece as I learned about what was going on, building it up, because this was really before it had ever become, it, it had reached a certain level of popularity, or it wouldn't have been in this store in Houston, Texas at all in the first place, but it was in a total niche store. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I picked it up right before it really became more of a popular media driven type of thing. Oh yeah. Um, right. Just in the, in the 10 seconds before that happened was, was sort of when I started learning about it. So that's how I got into it. It sounds like you got into it probably about a like decade before I did. <laughs> I was in the late eighties when I was getting into it. And yeah, this is I, late seventies. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is like thinking back to when I got into it, I had no freaking clue what I was doing. The first thing I did, I, I didn't start with D&D. I started with other various sci-fi and superhero role-playing games. We didn't know how to play them. When we got the stuff, we would roll up characters for our action figures and use them to fight our little figures. And sure, toys. yeah. 
And we didn't have a dungeon master telling the story at first because we didn't know how to do it at first. We we're just trying to figure out how to do the battle stuff with these little toys of ours. <laughs> yeah, no, we were we were doing the uh, so we had, we knew about minis, and so we we in terms of you know how can you physically play this game, we we already knew about that. Like I said, you know, Napoleonic miniatures, and I'd seen Lord of the Rings miniatures. But what we did, you know, to tell stories of doing it wrong. Um, you know, we played a whole bunch of, you know, uh, you know, going through there was the, the it was uh, in search of the unknown was the the module that came. Oh, yeah. That. So it was a, a pure dungeon uh, type of thing. We played a whole bunch, killed a whole bunch of monsters. And finally, we're like, do you think we've earned an experience point yet? OK, <laughs> we we agree. We've earned an experience point. We're going to level up. So that, you know, and we figured, you know, one experience point, one level, that's got to be the way it works, right? Because we didn't really care. You know, nobody is, <laughs> no one is reading super carefully, you know, when they're, you know, 10 years old. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, so. So many of the rules we made up. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So many of them, especially back then, it was when you're getting a book and you don't know 100% what you're doing, you're trying to figure it out. You We just didn't get it half the time. And then eventually, yeah. oh, okay, I see. It was. It was, but we definitely didn't have examples online to show us how to play. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there was nothing. That, that was that's that's why I remember I, would, I called my friend Jim, uh, you know, who was the guy who had the basic setup. It was the day after I'd gotten my copy of the player's handbook, and so I sat and I I, I read the player's handbook starting at the beginning because you know he wasn't there, so we, I, there was, I couldn't play. So I was just reading, and I called him up and I was like, you know what, we've been doing a lot of this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I've had. I've heard that and said that so many times with my gaming group. Like, you know, I think we've been doing this. That is, I'm not unfamiliar with that. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's great. Well, we're coming up about on time. Could you All tell right. the listeners where they can, where they can find you online and, and follow and be able to find out more about what's going on with Mythmere and everything else that you have out there? Sure. Um, we do have a website at this point, um, and we have um, the store on drivethroughrpg.com. And what we've got up on the website right at this point is just old PDFs. We're not selling printed books until we've got the fulfillment, you know, sort of thing set up. And we've, you know, actually we haven't printed anything yet. Uh, we're not print. We're not doing reprints yet uh, on any of the old original books that were, you know, pretty much a DIY, you know, here's Matt pecking away at a computer. Yeah. Um, so I'll send you the link to the website, uh, so that you can put that up, uh, you know, in the, in the stuff that you do. And then on drive through RPG, uh, you know, if you just put in Mythmere games, M Y T H M E R E games, uh, you know, that'll, that'll pull up the stuff on drive through. I don't think the drive through has link has a specific link that gets you, I think it just uses their search function, but uh, so so there's that, and those are the two places we are right now. Also, we uh, you can get on our mailing list uh, either on our website. We are also uh, we've got the uh, pre-launch page up for the Tome of Adventure Design Kickstarter. So anybody who wants to um, get the notification when that launches, and like I said, we're not 100% sure when that's going to be, so it might not be a bad idea if you want to follow it, so you don't miss it. The link to uh, to the pre-launch page. I'll send you that as well. And you can put that up. Excellent. So you heard that the links will be in the show notes. And as always, if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, give it a positive review, wherever you're listening, you can find us on Facebook. Just search wobblies and wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our, our blog kind of where we started doing this. You can find me on Twitter at Logar We now have a Patreon. Have putting out a daily podcast takes a little bit of time and money out of our pockets. So any support we'd really appreciate. Just go patreon.com backslash wobblies and wizards and keep those dice rolling.